Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that in this time you desire to meet with us. You desire to teach us your ways, especially what it means to live generously as you are generous. And so, Lord, we ask that as we come before your word this morning, that you would indeed give us wisdom, that you would give us open hearts and minds to understand your ways, that we might receive that word. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So there are a lot of imitations and knockoffs in our world today. And some imitations are easier to spot than others. I don't know if you've ever had coffee at the Stars and Bucks Cafe. I can promise you they probably do not have Pike Place Roast. Or maybe you like to uh, slather your baked potato with butter it's not. I don't know how you make a fake version of fake butter, but Kroger is trying really hard, and it seems that they hired Yoda to be their marketing director. Butter it's not. But then there, then, then there, are, other, then there are other fakes, other knockoffs that are a little bit harder to spot. A little bit harder to spot, like maybe that time you accidentally bought a pair of Abiba's sneakers. And you're just like, no, that, that wasn't quite what I was going for. But there, there are indeed a lot of imitations. There are a lot of knockoffs in our world. And, and honestly, the same could be said of Christian character, especially when it comes to generosity. Because you see, I think generosity is one of those things that is incredibly easy to fake, but it's very, very hard to truly achieve. It's incredibly easy to fake, but very, very hard to truly achieve. And yet Jesus talks about generosity more than anyone else in the Bible. In fact, he talks about how difficult it is uh, to achieve generosity and the temptations that come along with it. In Matthew chapter 6, he says this. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, Jesus calls us to live lives of authentic generosity, not imitation generosity. Kind of generosity that is for God's praise and for the benefit of others and not for our own praise and, and our own benefit. And so what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks is we're going to be looking at what does it mean to be truly generous with everything that we have? What does it mean to be generous with our attention, with our time, with our talents, and yes, with our treasures? And we're going to be specifically looking at Jesus and, and the life that he lived and what he calls us to. And I, so I think it's only right that as we start off this series, we look at one story in particular that I think shows just what Jesus-style generosity is all about. It's a story that we read a little bit earlier in our service, and it's a story that many of us, I think, are familiar with, the story of Zacchaeus. After all, many of us grew up hearing the song that the kids just sang a few moments ago, right? About Zacchaeus being a wee little man. A wee little man was he. But what I want to do is this morning, I want us to look at this story with fresh eyes. Because it's so much more than simply a Sunday school tale. 
It's a story that paints in beautiful pictures and stark colors just what Jesus-style generosity is all about. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open up with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own, that pew Bible that you see in front of you, you can take that. that let that be our gift to you so that you can study God's word along with us. But let's take a look at Luke chapter 19. Now to set up the context a little bit, before Luke chapter 19, something that we learn is that Jesus and his disciples are now on their way to Jerusalem. This will be Jesus' last trip to that city. And he's been going to Jerusalem from Galilee, passing through one town after another. And as he passes through each town, he often stops to teach and to preach and to heal. And so word is starting to, to get around that Jesus is on the move, that there's this prophet, this miracle worker coming from Galilee to Jerusalem. And so with every stop, more and more people begin to follow Jesus and to walk with him. And in fact, right before our passage for this morning, we find that Jesus has just done another miracle just outside the city of Jericho, where there was a blind man who was calling out to Jesus, and Jesus pauses, he stops, and he goes over, and he heals the man. He gives the man sight. So you can imagine that the people of Jericho, now knowing that this prophet is on his way to their town, are starting to get pretty excited. In fact, uh, we learn that they actually go out to meet him. And this is, a very typic- this is a typically Middle Eastern thing to do. That when you know a person of importance is coming to your town, you actually want to meet them on the way so that you can escort them into your community. And the more important the person is, the further out you go to meet them. And, and sure enough, here's Jesus approaching Jericho and there's already a huge crowd surrounding him. And that was even before he healed the man with blindness. And they're, they're welcoming him in, into the city. And as they're doing so, there's probably other people in the city who are preparing for him. Because in typical Middle Eastern fashion, you would not want this important person to just pass through. You would want to make sure that they stayed and that they actually had at least a meal with you, if not spent the night in your village. And the people probably would have been talking and debating among themselves, so whose house is Jesus going to stay at? And they would have been trying to select the best home of the most well-respected citizen because they knew that if this, this, this important person was greeted in grand style, that that would be a blessing to their community and that that would bring honor uh, upon them as, as a people. And so they're getting ready, and they're pretty excited, and that's where things already seem to be um, not quite going according to plan. Because in Luke chapter 19, we learn that Jesus enters Jericho and decides he's just going to keep going. It says that he comes into Jericho, and he continues to pass through. And you can imagine the people as he's walking through the streets are just begging him, please come, stay in our homes, eat with us. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm sorry, I I really have to continue on to Jerusalem. It's extremely important that I get there. And, And the reason why is because Jesus knows the urgency of the time. He knows that in Jerusalem he's going to do his greatest work yet. It will be there that he lays down his life for his people. It will be there that he will be nailed to a cross in order to redeem all those who've ever turned their back on him. And so you can understand the importance of Jesus wanting to just pass through. 
And it's as Jesus is passing through that we're introduced to another character in the story. We read in verse 2 that, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Right off the bat, we learn two things about Zacchaeus, that he's a tax collector and that he's rich. And those two details are extremely important. They would have been very important for, uh, for Luke's first century readers. Because first and foremost, to be a tax collector means that you are actually someone who works for the Roman government. The Roman Empire is, has, is actually ruling over the land of Judea at this time. And the Roman government, what they did is the way that they would try to keep people in submission is that they would put into place their own puppets to do their dirty work. They would appoint like puppet kings and puppet rulers. King Herod was kind of a puppet king. And, he, and although he had the title of king, he really ruled at the pleasure of Caesar. But likewise, in every single town and, and province, they would have appointed a chief tax collector from among the people. And their reasoning was they thought, well, if it's one of the people, then they'll be able to collect the taxes a lot better than if we just show up with troops. And so they would have appointed a, a fellow Jewish person to collect taxes. But here's the thing about the Romans doing that. You couldn't actually make your living if you just did your job. Because the job of the chief tax collector was simply to collect the tax no more, no less. But here's, here, was the, here was the little condition. Here's the little caveat the little nugget that the Romans like to insert it uh, likes to insert in this law. They would tell the tax collectors, look, this is the tax rate. This is what you need to collect from the people. And only the chief tax collector would know what the tax rate was. And then the Romans would say, now, you collect anything over and above that, it's yours. As long as Caesar gets paid. So we learn that Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector and that he's rich. What does that tell you about uh, how well Zacchaeus does his job? Well, it tells you he does a pretty good job. He gets those taxes in, but he's also skimming not just a little off the top. He's extorting his own people. And immediately that tells us just what kind of reputation Zacchaeus would have had because the Romans, they were cruel rulers. They were harsh rulers. They oppressed their people. They broke them down. Their, their taxes were crippling. And anybody who, who collaborated with the Romans was a sellout, was an enemy of the people, was an outcast. And so you can imagine that the people were not very fond of Zacchaeus because he was an extension of the Roman sword. He was an extension of the Roman government. He was an oppressor within their midst. And that explains a little bit about what Zacchaeus does next because when Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming, we read that, because, uh, that he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. Now, one of the things that's interesting is people say, well, of course, Zacchaeus had to jump up into the tree. I mean, there was a crowd and he was short. I mean, that's what Luke says. But think about this as well. In a Middle Eastern society, if you are a respected member of your community, it doesn't matter how tall or short you are. Because the moment you enter a crowd, the crowd parts the way for you. So it's not just that Zacchaeus is short. It's that he's despised. The crowd is not going to let him through. And he knows that if he tries to muscle his way through to see Jesus, at best he risks a beating. At worst, he could get a knife in the back. So he runs out of the town. 
and climbs up into a tree. Now, this is humiliating in Middle Eastern culture. All right, if you are the patriarch of your family, if you are the head of your household, there are two things that you don't do. First thing is you don't run anywhere. Everybody else waits for you to show up. Running is something that children do. It's seen as shameful for a head of a household. But second of all, the other thing you do is you don't climb trees. Okay? I mean, think about in those days, most people are wearing robes. To try, up in, to try and climb up into a, a tree is not only uh, embarrassing in terms of how hard it is to do, but it is quite literally exposing. And so here is Zacchaeus clambering up into a tree just to see Jesus as he passes by. And then something, if you're not shocked already, something truly shocking happens. It says that as Jesus is passing by, he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus wasn't even planning to stop. He wasn't even planning to stay. The moment he sees this despised outcast in a tree, he pauses, he looks up, and he says, Zacchaeus, come on down here. I want to spend time with you tonight. And right here, we start to see what Jesus-style generosity is all about. Jesus-style generosity is on the lookout for those who are overlooked. True generosity has eyes to see not those who can give us esteem, but those who are desperately in need. You see, the townspeople, they all had some imitation generosity going on. They were like, oh yeah, we're going to roll out the red carpet for this prophet. We're going to prepare the best meal for him. We're going to prepare the best household for him. We're going to show him how welcome he is here. We're going to give him some real, good old-fashioned Jericho generosity. But it's all for them. It's all for their own prestige. It's all for their own honor as a community. But not Jesus. That's not the way he thinks. He sees this outcast in a tree and he has eyes to see what no one else sees. A lonely man with a broken heart. A man who thinks that the only way that he can get by in the world is by extorting his neighbors. A man who has lied and who has cheated all so that he can think that by doing so he'll be somebody. And Jesus, rather than looking at him in judgment, looks at him and sees his broken heart, sees his desperate need, and says, Zacchaeus, come down here. The second thing we learn about Jesus-style generosity in this moment, though, is that Jesus-style generosity is present. Jesus isn't just content to give Zacchaeus a pat on the head. He's not content to just bring Zacchaeus down, turn around, and give a lecture to the crowd about how they should be a little bit more hospitable and kind and welcoming to the outcast. No, he doesn't just kind of throw money at the problem or throw praise at the problem. He doesn't try to just stick a Band-Aid on it and move on. He says, no, I need to spend some time with you. Jesus-style generosity is generous in terms of his time. He spends time with the one who is in need. Because he knows that it's going to take time, it's going to take intentionality to bring about true transformation. The third thing, though, that we learn about Jesus-style generosity is that it's costly. 
Because notice what happens the moment Jesus says this. It says that Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. But when the townspeople saw it, they grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And again, we have to understand Middle Eastern culture just a little bit. We have to understand first century Jewish culture. Zacchaeus was seen as unclean and an outcast, not welcome into synagogues and to holy places because he'd sold out his people to a pagan government. Jesus, by going in and eating at his table, would have been seen in the eyes of the community as allowing himself to be made unclean. This great prestige and honor that Jesus had coming into the town, that's not what he leaves with. He leaves with nothing. He leaves with nothing except the scorn and the derision of the people. People are like, this, this man is supposed to be a prophet? No, prophets don't do that. They don't hang out in the homes of sinners. They do not break bread with people like tax collectors. You see, this costs Jesus something. It costs Jesus his status. It costs Jesus his power. It costs Jesus his prestige. But he doesn't care. Because he looks at the price that he has to pay and he says it's worth it. Why? Because look at the look on Zacchaeus' face. Zacchaeus is overjoyed. He's overjoyed that, that this prophet, that this man of God would spend time with him. Because ever since he was a young man and started up in this profession, probably actually even strong-armed into it against his will by the Romans, he's been told that he's been an outcast, unloved by God and rejected. And now this man says, no, I want to spend some time with you. I want to eat at your table. There's a part of me that would have loved to have been at that meal. To know what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. But Luke, interestingly, doesn't give us the conversation. All he shows us is the fruit. Because notice what happens next. It says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods that I, uh, uh, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus suddenly turns around and blesses the community that he's wronged. Not only does he bless the community that he's wronged, but he's basically saying, "I'm committing my life to ensure that nobody goes without ever again." You see, in typical Middle Eastern fashion, he, he speaks in hyperbole. You know, he says, I'm going to give away half of my goods to the poor, and if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to give away to them fourfold. Well, here's the thing. He's defrauded everybody. If he's to get, he doesn't have the fourfold to give, but see, in a Middle Eastern culture, you know that. You understand that he's speaking in hyperbole. But what he's saying and what everybody would have heard in that village is he's saying, I am now dedicating the rest of my life to ensuring that nobody goes without again. That's exactly what he means. He's saying, I'm giving away what I have to the poor and anybody else who's ever been defrauded, I'm going to make sure that it never happens to them again. Zacchaeus commits himself to the kind of generosity that he's now experienced in Jesus. 
And it's now only after we've seen the fruit of the conversation that Jesus finally helps us to understand why the cost was worth it. He says, today salvation has come to this house since he, Zacchaeus, also is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. See, the beautiful thing about this kind of generosity, the reason Jesus is willing to pay that price is because it gives life to somebody else. Jesus, throughout his ministry, is constantly redefining what it means to be poor and to be rich. He says that the poor people are those who are constantly looking for their value in something else. The poor people are those who are those who've always been overlooked by society and told that they're not worth it, that they're too sick or broken or messed up to possibly be saved. Jesus says, those are the poor people. Those who are looking for their value in things that cannot satisfy. And he says, and my job is to seek them out. I came to seek and save the lost. Because you can have wealth and still be lost. You can have power and still be poor. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I want to help all those people know that they too are loved by God. He says, this is why salvation has come to his house, not because of what Zacchaeus has done, but because simply because I am here and I sought him out. It's not because of what Zacchaeus had done or not done, the ways that he turned his life around or failed to do so, it's simply because he let himself be found. Jesus sought him out and welcomed him in. You see, all this is just one miniature snapshot of what Jesus is about to do in Jerusalem. Because like Jericho, Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem with great shouts and praise and accolades. He's going to enter into Jerusalem with the waving of palm branches and shouts of Hosanna. He's going to enter into Jerusalem called the son of David and the reigning king. But he will leave Jerusalem in shame. Taking the place of outcasts. Bearing upon his shoulders what they deserved. Why? Because he came to seek and save the lost. And that's us. Every single one of us. And he was willing to be generous to that level because he believed that the price was worth paying. That we might be welcomed in. That we might be shown that God loves us and that he values us. He did this so that we might be washed and made clean. So that the outcasts would be welcomed in and made a part of the family. I think it is so appropriate that this is a baptism weekend. Because that's what we celebrate in these waters. We celebrate that in these waters the lost have been found. The dead have been brought back to life. The unclean are made clean and forgiven. Because it's here in these waters that the prophecy that God gave through Ezekiel is fulfilled. Where God says in Ezekiel 36, the following, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules 
And you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is a story about Jesus seeking the lost, washing him clean, and giving him a new heart. And it's not just a story about Zacchaeus, it's a story about you and me. This is not some imitation generosity. This is a generosity worth imitating. And so as we begin this series, it's worth stepping back, being reminded of the generosity of Jesus. The true generosity has eyes to see the lost. The true generosity takes time and presence. The real generosity is willing to pay any cost so that those who have none might be welcomed in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this weekend as we kick off a new series, we ask that you would help us to bring our hearts of stone and lay them at your feet. For Lord, we cannot wash ourselves, but you, you promise you can make us clean. For you came to seek and save the lost, and Lord, we have been among those lost. We ask that, that, we, would, that we would remember your generosity, that you sought us out, that you found us to welcome us in. And Lord, we pray that that kind of generosity would indeed shape our hearts. That we would become people who give that kind of generosity to others in beautiful and extravagant ways through our attention, through our time. And through the costs that we're willing to pay, Lord, we pray that this would all be an overflow of what we've already received from you, you who have made us clean, you who have called us sons and daughters of Abraham. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.